Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, everybody. It's your children are dead, witch wizard Holden McNeely, and I'll get back at you. Oh, yes, I will, even if I have to trick you all into living into some horrific non-reality. That's right. It's me, Skylar Witch Wizard Holden McNeely. And it's me, your synthesoid man robot thing what does it mean i hate you i love you i I love you you. i hate you i love you how dare you mind control me while you were mind controlled to mind control my friends how dare you you son of sorry does a plastisoid vein not be filled with nano blood what is to be human what is to be machine bruiser vision jake <laughs> and today, of course, we're talking about Wanda and Vision, and of course, the Disney show WandaVision. But also, I think what's so fascinating for me has been learning about all of the comic books and things that came together to create this monstrosity. Mm-hmm. And by monstrosity, I mean fantastic prestige television series that maybe one of the best things the MCU has uh, created just because of how unique and interesting it is, how, how it deals in these deep themes of grief and overcoming personal tragedy, how well it brings, it's the rug that brings the room together. I mean, the, the, it is the connector between phase three and phase four for the MCU as well. And just just in general too, just being like, Disney, you pieces of shit. You really figure this shit out. Between Mandalorian and WandaVision, I am terrified of our new Disney overlords. And yet, I also bow to them and hope that they'll take my blood someday and keep it in a freezer. The exact emotion you're describing, Holden, where like on a surface level, you're like, ooh, I enjoy this television show. And then on the extra level, because you're a fucking nerd that had to research all this shit, you're like, ooh, I know what that's a reference to. It's a 1978 comic book written by Roy Thomas. I'm not going to Sometimes when we're hanging out and someone brings up something or we're watching something that is definitely an episode I did research on and I can throw some factoids out there, you know, I like to do it. 
Um, <laughs> Just like anybody, any listener of this show, I'm like, well, did you know that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I may have uh, kind of gone hard on some Back to the Future talk recently, you know what I mean, at a party, and then been like, you can take it easy a little bit with the factoids, Holden. Uh, vis-a-vis spoilers for the show, uh, we will talk about events in the show much, much later. You'll get a warning before any of that happens. Spoiler warning for the show, but we will be covering the comic books, and I will say that indirectly... There could be spoilers that I don't even know, just based on what we're going to give you in terms of the full backstory of Vision and Wanda throughout the Silver Age into the Bronze and up to modern age of comic books. Now, Holden, can I admit something to you? Uh, I, I Just between you and me, this isn't going out to anybody. This isn't being recorded. I'm not looking directly at a microphone that I'm speaking into. Uh, this is we're just bros, just just chatting. Totally, we're having um, a bro hang. I never liked these characters. I uh-huh. always thought that uh, I never enjoyed like what is to be human. My logic processors tells me one thing, but my heart tells me another. Like ro- Spock, Data, kind of just robot characters. I always thought that was kind of like lazy writing or just kind of a weird like nerd move to always insert a character like that. Um, and then also, I'm a witch. I just have these ambiguous ass witchy powers that sort of don't feel as solidified as maybe some of the other more famous characters in the uh, Marvel universe. Not only that, but like she's uh, one of the most insanely like the, the Marvel universe is full of characters like this. I'm thinking a lot of Jean Grey when we covered the X Men. Mm-hmm. That like. They're either coquettish, just placeholder lady characters, and then if a writer wants to, like, shake things up, they're like, what if this seemingly delicate flower went fucking crazy with her powers? Like, right. And, her, yeah, the hex powers that every single writer, every single person that is assigned to this character, like, just flips a coin and is like, is it random chaos probability? Is it... Like, no, 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 it's like Doctor Strange, she knows spells, and everything has, like, a concrete, like, system behind it. Is she powered by demons? Is she powered by the universe? Is she powered by mutant blood? Is she Magneto's kid? Is she not? Like, all these things, just, that these two brightly colored B-list Avengers have just been so, like, messed with and retconned and, like, kind of all over the place that compared to more grounded characters like Spider-Man or more aspirational characters like uh, Captain America or even just like cool anti-heroes like Wolverine and Deadpool, I just could never get into. And it wasn't until uh, both the show started airing and we started doing research that this innate, like just free flowing in the winds of the, in the whims of every single Marvel writer that takes a crack at them kind of endeared them to me. Seeing them not just as, like, uh, just oddities in the fringes of my favorite stories, but, like, a reflection, a weird meta uh, commentary on the trends and personalities that have passed through the Marvel Comics universe on the from the creative side is fascinating to me. And it really, that same energy is translated in the show spectacularly well. And it's this very singular kind of um confluence of like of um, meta and non-meta narrative coming together so mm-hmm. i'm this has been a blast to prepare for same i i also have gained a 
great new appreciation for these characters, both between the fact that they really are, at the end of the day, incredibly tragic characters. We were just talking before this podcast started about how I felt like, you know, with the big boys, you can't really mess with them too, too much. Of course, they all have their personal tragedies in the, in the comics and everything, but still, I mean, I feel like it is, a, it is a Shakespearean level of tragedy going on with Scarlet Witch and the Vision in a, in a compl- on a whole new level. But also, yes, the way that these characters have been... The directions these characters have been taken in both in uh, the House of M is a fascinating comic story, albeit maybe not uh, with with Scarlet Witch too, too much in the spotlight. I also really loved uh, 2016's The Vision, and we're going to talk about that as well. These are all influences on WandaVision. And then for the MCU to see these great pieces of source material, and I do think that that's what the MCU is better at than the DC uh, cinematic universe, is that they really look at the stories that made things compelling, the small stories, and they incorporate them into their work, and they did it maybe the, and the best they've ever done it with WandaVision, taking this wild backstory. They're like cartoonishly in a relationship at first. Then all this tragedy strikes them all through the years. They're just fodder for how, you know, a robot can't give a, wo- a woman that seed seed or, or, you know, or let's kill their kids. Over and over again, let's kill their kids. And then, of course, we have recently, I mean, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler in Phase 3, we have Vision dying twice. (laughs) We have Wanda, Wanda, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch, just like honestly being pushed to the absolute brink when it comes to personal despair and personal tragedy and how she deals with that becomes this great symbol, metaphor, what have you, for someone coping with great loss and uh, not being perfect, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and the other thing I think that fascinates me the most about them was like, of course, Vision, and we'll get into more detail in just a second, but Vision is created by Ultron in the comics. He is, should be in every way evil, but yet he's compelled to be good and, and join the Avengers and do good, even though he's this like sentient robot type that usually is Synthesoid, Holden, synthesoid. Synthesoid, sorry, I'm gonna get that wrong a lot. And then Wanda is, is you know, in, in the book, she was retconned later to be Magneto's daughter. She, again, she was, like, a be- debuted in the Brotherhood of Mutants. She is, a, in every way, she's a witch. In every way, she should be a force of evil, but she's compelled, again, to join the Avengers and do good. And I think that that's more fascinating to me than a Captain America's motives or a Iron Man's motives. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's more interesting to see, like, oh, and on paper, you should be, I mean, and, and that's in life as well. Like, uh, when you see someone, it's like, God, in every way, you should be a villain in this world, and yet something in you was better than that. And I think that that, again, adds to both them being a complex interesting duo but also um the the you know the tragedy that that continues and just constantly is hitting them in the face by being a part of all of these groups in a way uh both dc and marvel are kind of the longest continuing soap operas in the you know history of publication going on for like i don't know almost 100 years at this point and these two characters have had a target on their back by their very disposable nature. So if we, so, I'm just going to get this out of the way. If we get the timing of something wrong, if we got an event out of order, if like uh, we neglect that a certain demon that is influencing the person that is mind controlling someone into mind controlling someone else is uh, mispronounced, please go gentle on us. But it's let's get into it, man. This is the Let's story. get into it. 
Let's start with the history of Scarlet Witch. She and her brother Quicksilver debuted in X-Men number four as part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, as I just mentioned. Jack Kirby first designed her, and she is written along with her brother as uh, they're uninterested in being a part of the Brotherhood. It's kind of funny the way that drawn pretty terribly, I'm going to go ahead and say early on. Don't you dare insult Jack Kirby. (laughs) Okay, first of all, uh, Scarlet Witch's original headpiece designed designed terribly. Let me. I guess I should rephrase Don't you that. Insult well, Scarlet Witch's <laughs> original design, uh, and she's drawn in green on the cover for no reason, but whatever. Um, is uh, a garment known as a wimple, uh, most popularly now worn by uh, Catholic nuns. It is a head covering that covers not only the hair but also the ears and chin. And creates kind of this weird little head cutout. Um, nothing else looks like it. It kind of, uh, um, it slightly evokes like kind of Eastern Orthodox, uh, kind of Eastern European mysticism, peasant, yes. like Baba Yaga she, vibes. She is, she will end up being essentially, well, adopted at least by a Romani couple and being a symbol of racism against the Romani people. Uh, as as uh, in the early years of her character development, she's not even Magneto's daughter at this point. This gets retconned later, but uh, yeah, she she is she is there. She is dissatisfied because Mag- she essentially is just under Magneto's control because he makes her feel guilty because he saved her life from an angry European lynch mob, which is going to come up multiple times in her backstory. She's always get getting her. She's attacked. Romani. What? <laughs> I thought she was immune. She's both. Wait, is this where we're getting the Jews? No, that's a different mob. Okay, sorry. See you guys later. <laughs> One of the most fascinating things about WandaVision that we'll talk about way later in our spoiler discussion is it's definitely uh, concerning Pietro, who is Quicksilver, uh, the superhero. That is her brother. They are introduced together in the, in, from the very beginning. And uh, very quickly, they end up working for the Avengers, and um, Pietro kind of, uh, it's kind of hilarious. They just write a letter to the Avengers saying, we'd like to work for you, which is kind of funny because uh, when we get into Roy Thomas later, who really becomes known for Scarlet Witch and Vision, that's how he got a job at Marvel. (laughs) It's a very weird uh, setup because, yeah, the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, they're supposed to be this mirror of the X-Men, even though it's like... Toad and Mastermind. There's like only yeah. four of them. So already yeah. they're at a disadvantage. Uh, Scarlet Witch and Pietro are supposed to like represent how like Magneto doesn't have like any moral justifications and like, you know, just uh, compared to the X-Men, the Brotherhood is full of disunity and subterfuge and all that. They describe Scarlet Witch like Quicksilver. He he do the run fast. Easy peasy. Yeah, right. It's so it's so opposite. It's like one guy has one very specific power, Scarlet Witch, completely ambiguous, especially up top. If I wanted to go Freudian, it could be like Quicksilver is like of the physical world and Scarlet Witch is of the mystical, spiritual world. But um, it's literally described as just like, uh, Wanda, be careful. If you point your fingers at someone, disaster will befall them. And I think the first time we see her powers on panel, she like, points at angel or uh beast this is old school beast non-furry beast uh and just the ceiling caves in on him so like she basically can just like summon banana peels at the worst moment for someone then when they join the then they kind of like split off and they kind of uh they're like uh we don't want to be defined by magneto but we don't want to join the x-men and it's a weird stage in the avengers because thor the hulk and iron man leave the team and 
they bring on Hawkeye, who is an old Iron Man villain, which is, once again, I understand every comic book writer in the history of comic book writer does their damnedest to prove that Hawkeye is not just like bow and arrow guy, but he's just a bow and arrow guy. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So it's Captain America, Hawkeye, and then because Scarlet Witch and Vision wrote a letter and they're like, we don't want to be known as villains or mutants. We want to be heroes. It's the it's I think it's known as like Cap's quirky quartet. It's Captain America, the Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver and a Hawkeye are the Avengers for a couple of issues. And it's such yeah. a weird lineup. It's very, very bizarre. Um, and uh, really, really, it, it is all Roy Thomas. When he comes in in the 70s, he really brings them into their own as as uh, interesting characters. Well, really, not even. He just kind of smashes them together and gets them married to create, again, soap opera stuff, romance. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Roy Thomas uh, grew up a massive comic book fan. At a young age, he was writing and drawing his own comics for friends and family. And after school, he became an English teacher and embraced the Silver Age of comics and its rebirth of the superhero wholeheartedly. He ended up the editor of a fanzine called Alter Ego on the side just for funsies. But in 1965, he moves to New York City, takes a job at DC Comics as assistant to the editor of Superman titles at the time. He worked there for only eight days because that guy apparently was an asshole. So he ended up just walking across the street and getting a job at Marvel. Well, he didn't actually walk. Like I said, he wrote a letter to Stanley, literally just asking him if he'd like to have a drink. And Stanley responded with the Marvel writing test, which we've mentioned a bagillion times. What is again Fantastic Four number? I'm not aware, but uh, we've definitely covered it in other Avengers-based titles. Uh, I probably look at our Ant Man episode probably for Roy the Boy Thomas and his uh, legendary run taking over the reins from Stan the Man Lee. So he he ends up first. His first thing is a romance story called "Whom Can I Turn To." So he definitely knows that romance thing. He's doing World War II stuff, but really, uh, it, he comes into his own when he starts writing for the Uncanny X Men, and then especially the Avengers, starting with number thirty five in late nineteen sixty six. He runs with the title until nineteen seventy two, and he becomes known for being able to write these very personal stories while also being able to write these like be- massive cosmic intergalactic battle type stories and pu- pulling them all together, especially with the Kree scroll war arc starting in 1971, which is actually going to very much uh, pertain to our two main characters of this episode. So now let's talk about vision and where he came from. He's got a weird winding ass path of a superhero. Backstory. I had no idea about this, but this is hilarious. Um, Are you talking about the initial, initial version of the vision? Well, the story of the vision starts back in 1939 of all years. It's a it's right. a dazzling era. Um, Europe is in Full turmoil. Flappers are flapping. You know, people are dancing. The is it the Charleston or the Jitterbug in this age? Huh. But uh, Marvel is kind of a proto version of itself. This is what we call the Golden Age, and so. Uh, characters like uh, the original Human Torch, who's like this dapper. Also an android who is basically the same as the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four, but he's not in the Fantastic Four. Namor, the submariner who goes on underwater adventures and just loves kicking the shit out of Germans and Nazis. Left and, and of right. course, the a- the alien cop, Arcus, who comes from a dimension called Smoke World, or as we know him, Vision. <laughs> This is in reading the original vision story as uh, scripted and put together by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. 
was a revelation. I had no idea his origins go back this far, but it is a standard, like, uh, kind of superhero story full of uh, greasy uh, ethnic Italian gangsters, scientists, high society, and daring do. But uh, a gangster by the name of, uh, what was it? Brains Borelli, the crime king of Lincoln <laughs> City, uh, interrupts a bold scientist who is trying to do what he's called a scientific seance with his dimension smasher and trying to open up a wor- uh, portal to another world. The mobsters invade, take the scientist hostage, but it's too late to stop the experiment. And out of the portal emerges a weird bald-headed man in pale green skin and a large doofy uh, popped collar and a yellow cape who immediately uses the famous powers of the vision uh, to just freeze a guy solid by touching him and then never explaining why or how he can do that. He also can teleport, but only where there is smoke. He seems to be gaining, he gains his powers from smoke. He's like held captive and his he can turn into a mortal form, which is, get this, a square-jawed white man with uh, generic hair. And he can't free himself until he asks Brains Borelli before he gets shot in the dome for a last cigarette. And once the cigarette is lit, he can turn back into the vision. But his true name is Arcus. Um, Uh, So, yeah, totally an alien, totally not a robot. In no way like the original backstory or or the true backstory for our vision as we know him. This is a weird... I'm not saying that Marvel is... I'm just saying this is weird parallel thinking, but in 1939, the first appearance of The Vision uh, comes two months after the first appearance of The Spectre, who is a similar DC hero, similar long cape, similar amorphous powers, similar... Mm. uh, The Vision is... I mean, this is common to a lot of Golden Age heroes, but The Vision loves just mocking people as he's torturing them with his various... uh, ill-defined powers and that is very much the specters game as well who knows it was part of a compilation uh series called uh marvel mystery comics maybe it was just a page filler who knows but by the 1960s the vision was pretty much forgotten to history of course and and roy thomas is looking to fill out his avengers team now that he's taken over his comic uh as, over the comic and he asks stan lee but lee wishes to add an android member so they compromise and create a new android vision who first appears in Aven- avengers number 57 okay thomas now hold in- in, hear this two months before android vision appears a new character is added to the Justice League by the name of Red Tornado. And get this, he is an emotionally distant uh, android man who can fly and has a big cape huh. and is bald. I'm just saying. <laughs> Either way, Thomas initially wanted him to be white to fit his ghostly name, just like you just said. But due to printing limitations, which would effect- effectively just make him look colorless, he ended up going with red for his look. There's he no designed- white ink. It would just be like that shitty yellow newsprint paper that they use to print the comics. So the effect exactly. Would be- so he's designed as, quote, every inch a human being, except that all of his body, bodily organs are constructed of synthetic materials. So he's not a robot. He's not an android. He's like a hu- he's more human than robot almost uh, in terms of their description, but he's got this synthetic quality. In Avengers 58, uh, Goliath, a.k.a. Giant Man, a.k.a. Ant-Man, a.k.a. Uh, Yellow Jacket, a.k.a. Uh, wife Beater, Hank Pym, explains that 
uh, Vision is, quote, not an android, but a synthozoid. You're basically human in every way, except that your body is made of synthetic parts. Um, which would be cool, except for the fact that even if you just built a plastic person with, like, nanofiber organs, it doesn't explain why you can change your density at will. But whatever, it's fine. It's fine. So his powers, the solar jewel on his forehead, which ends up being the is the is it does it become the Mind Stone in the comic books or is that just an MCU creation? So Vision's powers are uh, first and foremost is the density thing. He can right. lower well, wait, wait, his density well, and phase through walls. Well, wait, what about the question? Does the solar jewel become the Mind Stone? The in solar the comic gem books? was always just a yeah, just a a. It just looked cool. And B, uh, it was an explanation for how he can recharge himself. That he can, which is so it's no longer smoke; it's solar energy, which gives him the power to function, but also to be discharged as optic beams. But yes, you also brought up. I think the most interesting quote unquote, power of his is his ability to change density, so he can fly through the air, he can phase through things, but he can also change his density to to have super strength and uh, super armor and stuff like that. Um, but it's the mind gem thing is only in the movies. I, and that was one of the curiosities, right? So that was, an, that was a brilliant, brilliant uh, approach, I think, from the uh, angle of the MCU. And, of course, he is created in the comics by Ultron. It's uh, Iron Man creates him in the movies, in the Age of Ultron, though, right? Right, because yeah. Scott Lang is Ant-Man, and like they, they did a lot of whitewashing. Or not whitewashing. Right. They did a lot or of just smoothing like, over. Rejiggering to, to tell their story, uh, for sure, in Infinity War and everything. It's also, uh, Vision does not have a British accent in the comics. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll, of course, be our boy Bettany, which we'll yeah. get into soon. Uh, that dude kills it. Uh, and I think that actually came from a weird thing, too, a casting thing of just being the voice of Ultra, uh, of, or of uh, Iron Man's. Uh, uh, the robot. initial explanation because Roy Thomas is such a fucking Avengers nerd, is that uh, Ultron came back to life after having been defeated, and as part of his revenge, he snuck into Hank Pym's old lab, and there he got a hold of the old android body of the Human Torch and the mind data from uh, Wonder Man, who was a one-off villain turned good guy in Avengers number nine, and so it it kind of connects Vision to the Avengers past. And uh, he attacks uh, Janet Van Dyne, I think at the time, not Pym. He attacks the Wasp. Uh, he then has a change of heart and like passes out. And he's taken to the Avengers, the Avengers mansion. But Ultron is like, I programmed him to have a change of heart just so I could get in the mansion and really attack him. And the Vision helps beat him up. And immediately the Avengers are like, welcome aboard, freak of nature. (laughs) (laughs) And then that freak of nature falls in love. Roy Thomas said, I felt that a romance of some sort would help the character development in the Avengers. And the Vision was a prime candidate because he appeared only in that mag as did Wanda, for that matter. So they became a pair for just such practical considerations. It would also, I felt, add to the development I was doing on the Vision's attempting to become quote, human, which, again, is a very fascinating idea that, you know, this robots love to robot, you know, I saw her or whatever it was. That was a good one about that. But either way, 
Scarlet Witch is reintroduced to the team in 1970, the Avengers number 75. They meet in the next issue when Vision shows up to save Scarlet Witch from a forced marriage to the evil Archon, and she protects him from his wrath. But they don't actually hook up until Thomas's famous Kree Scroll War, which I mentioned before. That is the arc which spanned Avengers number 89 to 97, and the story has Earth and the Avengers swept up in an intergalactic war. They first show signs of a budding romance after being taken captive by the Kree, and Scarlet goes in for a kiss while they're all tied up, which Vision rejects. What? Vision, come on! They actually get up on each other. Up in it, with it, down under. It's just, honestly, the, the the comic book issue came wet. It came in a wet bag. <laughs> so it was so steamy, and yeah, you had, you'd have to dry it off for a couple days where you could even read it. Avengers number Dude, 108. do you know how much... A f- a still damp copy of Avengers 108 is going to get you on the market. <laughs> oh my God. It goes, you have to pay them, actually. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Either way, Vision gives Wanda a shoulder to lean on in that uh, episode, in that issue uh, when she's distressed about her brother going missing. So there's always this connection to like, the kids, which we haven't gotten into yet, the brother tragedy, the vision tragedy. It's always tragedy when it comes to Wanda and the men in her life. And in Giant Size Avengers number four, Wanda and Vision help defeat the evil Dormammu and save Wanda's mentor, Agatha Harkness, who magics them back to Avengers Mansion, where Vision professes his love to Scarlet Witch and asks her to marry him, which she obliges. Who is Agatha Harkness, you ask? Oh, I don't know. Yes, I do, actually. She is a very powerful witch. There was one of the original witches from the Salem Witch Trials, and in the same issue, uh, the two are wed in a double wedding with Mantis and a doppelganger of Swordsman. So that's a weird... By the way, I'm going to re... Uh, repeat that. In the same issue, the two are wed, but in a double wedding with Mantis and a doppelganger of Swordsman. Jake, back to you. <laughs> I, it always upset me that the Avengers had Swordsman and Black Knight, who are just both sword guys, but whatever. Um, <laughs> also, that's the laziest name for a character that's really into sword fighting. Even the just Arrow swordsman? guy. Even the Arrow guy got a cool name like Hawkeye. Got a cool, yeah, Hawkeye. That makes sense. Either way, I just I wanted to say. should be said that um, before falling in with Vision, Hawkeye had a will they, won't they with Scarlet Witch. Hercules went on a few dates. Uh, Captain America has an on again, off again with Scarlet Witch. Turns out if your female characters are outnumbered by male characters by a billion to one, uh, you're going to have some love quint- uh, 
hexagons going on. (laughs) Initially, their love is pretty chaste, and it's not until after they're married, quote unquote, that like they get uh, more relationship screen time. It is like basically like a a lost opportunity to hold hands or like an emotional hug before they're actually married. And they get their own title as well, right? I believe it's just the Scarlet Witch and Vision, right? Uh, there's is- a 1982 series that is like pretty okay, uh, but a lot of the big plot stuff, such as uh, them having children together and them dealing with Agatha Harkness, uh, yes. is in the 1985 series uh, by writer Steve Englehart, who uh, is known for having like a very like kind of empathetic uh, attitude towards female characters. It's kind of so much of Marvel history is like Steve Englehart getting these like uh, characters out from the doldrums and then having newer writers just be like, that's weak and dumb. And then her tits grew two sizes (laughs) bigger. All right. Yeah, exactly. Either way in this, um, I guess I'm saying either way, Jake, I say it too much, but either way uh, later Wanda gives birth, as you said, to two twin boys using her reality altering powers. It's specifically uh, Agatha Harkness, who was introduced back in the early run of the Fantastic Four as uh, Franklin Richards governess. The entire thing is just a dumb gag where like, oh, this little old lady has to watch our kid and then supervillains attack this poor little old lady. But surprise, she's a spooky witch. And the idea that so much of the billion dollar Disney empire hinges on this character now is hilarious. But Agatha Harkness is brought in. She like mentors Scarlet Witch because at this point, I think they're leaning less towards like, uh, oh, your powers are like random mutant powers. And like, no, 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 you have true magic. I will help you learn spells and be more in control. So you're not just like waving your hands and hoping something interesting happens. Agatha Harkness is killed by her son, Nicholas Scratch, who looks like the most generic evil magic bad guy in the history of the Marvel canon, as well as the Salem Seven. Agatha Harkness, with her dying breath, transfers her energy into uh, Scarlet Witch. And Scarlet Witch is, like, given psychic hints that she can use that power to create life. And she just kind of, like, clutches her tummy and goes, ooh, what if? And later, uh, it turns out that what she conjured these twins, they are actually missing pieces of the demonic Mephisto. And Mephisto actually reabsorbs them. Wait, wait, okay, okay, okay. So, um, in the 1980s, uh, Avengers, this is like mid to late 80s, uh, Avengers West Coast starts up. And it's kind of this like clearing ground for all these extra Avengers characters um hawkeye is the leader at a certain point they bring back wonder man and uh john byrne who is like comic book royalty at this point like he killed it with the x-men he's killed it so many times he's got the cool art style he's got the cool writing style like the guy is given carte blanche and he has a bone to pick with vision and scarlet witch he does not dig what Engelhart did with this couple and so the first one of the first things he does is start a plot line called uh I think it's called Vision Quest, where uh, an elite squad of all the world's intelligence agencies uh, teams up to kill the Vision. (laughs) While Vision is destroyed, uh, Scarlet Witch is in mourning, but Hank Pym can save the Vision and he rebuilds him. But due to his time dead, the Vision's skin is drained of all color. And this is like the pure white Vision that uh, growing up as a comic book fan in the 90s, 
this was the vision that I grew up with. This is the vision in the uh, arcade game. This is the vision that like I was on the trading cards. To me, this is what the vision looked like. Um, and he is just full robot. He is just like, hello, my logic processors. I do not He's- know what love is. He, like, has implanted in him the understanding of what the old Vision had. Like, he he sort of has the memories a little bit, but not the emotional connection. He's like Vision the sociopath, essentially. And so John Byrne starts dropping hints that uh, Wanda's babies are not real. Like, uh, in the same issue where the Vision comes back, Scarlet Witch, like, uh, hires a new babysitter, and the babysitter starts freaking out because whenever Wanda's not in the house, the babies disappear. Um, these, the twins, Tommy and Billy, and it then gets exploded to actually the babies are chunks of Mephisto's soul, uh, as channeled through another character, I, who is, God, it's, there's so many layers to this. I'm sorry. I'm getting it wrong. Yada, yada, yada. The babies get reabsorbed into Mephisto. The vision Harkness, Harkness memory wipes, uh, Wanda. As oh, well. she's back, by the way. She's back, by the way, in Memory Wipes Wanda. The Vision and Scarlet Witch get a divorce and just like everything is th- is just thrown into disarray because the same kind of weird feelings that I tried to express in the beginning that like this is so weird. These characters are so ill-defined. Like, I don't you know. I just want to tell cool stories about bare knuckle gods and soldiers like I, I don't need this. John Byrne kind of wipes out that entire, like, decades of character development from these two. And, again, adds all these layers of tragedy. Then in Avengers Disassembled in 2004, this arc has Wanda... So this is, like, this is years and years of, like, kind of neglect. Uh, Scarlet Witch has, like, a edgy 90s uh, redo series where she's just, like, tits galore and, like, has crazy Rob Liefeld thighs in every panel. Uh, they just keep trying to like rejigger what is her deal? Is she pa- like, oh no, 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 you're not uh you're not mute this isn't mutant magic, you're powered by like chaos magic. And then Doctor Strange will come in and be like, Chaos magic doesn't exist. You're dealing with like universe magic or just just nobody knows what to do with these characters. She 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 essentially goes AWOL. It's 2004. She seeks the help of Doctor Doom to restore her children, ends up summoning a sinister cosmic entity, wouldn't you know it, and that merges with her in order to do this. It influences her to rain terror down on the Avengers and blame them for the death of her children, and the result is that the Vision is destroyed. That's a retcon. That's a retcon. We didn't... It, they came up with the Doctor Doom thing years later. Brian Michael Bendis gets added to the Avengers. There's... I. I don't if the timeline of Avengers disassembled kind of is a little bit weird, but I think he, Bendis just did the edgy thing where he looked at the history, saw this underutilized character, saw the amount of like insane trauma they went through. And the only interesting thing they could do is like, you underestimated this character. But what if I told you she had the power to like fuck with everything? So in Avengers disassembled, uh, she basically causes a, just gigaton hyper combo on the Avengers with uh, bringing back a dead character, the Jack of Hearts, and turning him into a living bomb, killing uh, Scott Lang, uh, Goliath, um, who then came back, but uh, whatever. Uh, she kills the Vision, who like shows up, and by this point, he was reconfigured to be back in color, and his body was made of nanomachines, but that's not important. He dies, Hawkeye dies, and all this. Uh, in that run of Avengers, uh, it was highly, highly suggested that her and Captain America were about to hook up. And 
uh, Doctor Strange is the one who finally like kind of comes back and is like, this is what's happening. It's Scarlet Witch. She's freaking out. He brings Captain America to Wanda, who, get this, created a magic pocket universe modeled after a black and white sitcom where she has a full family again. Yeah, and the, the yeah, so that's where we get to House of M, and this is a big inspiration for WandaVision as well. House of M is after the Avengers are dead. They don't know what to do with Wanda, but they want to do something because they know that they can't just have her existing, like, wiling out fucking mer- straight Merc and <laughs> Avengers left and right. So uh, what happens is she ends up through and I well I guess uh, yeah whatever spoilers okay for this I don't even know but you end up finding out you think it's Magneto behind all of this but uh Scarlet Witch ends up creating a world in which everyone has their desires fulfilled and in general like it's a world where Magneto won and it's House of Magnus it's it's Magnet instead of an X-Men reality where the humans and the mutants coexist it's a mutant dominated reality where um the humans are sort of the the minority in this situation and uh uh magneto ends up freaking out because it's actually quicksilver who, who was behind all of this and taking out quicksilver tragedy 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 in other words like it's the I, avengers fight to break out Quicks- of the reality it's not that quicksilver was you say that like he was like doing mind control shit but it was like um, the Avengers were coming because Magneto, after Avengers disassembled, was like, I've come for my daughter because at this point she was still his daughter. At a certain point, we glossed over it. But the explanation was that she was the daughter. Pietro and Wanda were the uh, children of uh, a Golden Age hero named Miss America and uh, super speedster The Wizard. Keep on whizzing, guys. The Wizard was their parents. <laughs> They then change it to Magneto, uh, and the events of House of M was just Pietro being like, "Dude, just use magic. Just I'm like, you just fix everything, so nobody's right. mad anymore." And right, right. House of M was her attempt to fix things, but she's also like this shell of a human by House of M because she's so grief stricken that she's very, she's very easily, I think, manipulated at this point because she's mm. just so vulnerable in the comic, and that's why it's that's why it's like masterminded, quote unquote, by. Quicksilver, but either way, um, she at the very end says out loud, "No more mutants," which depowers ninety percent of the mutant population. This will get fixed later. It always gets fixed and changed. But either way, it this was is this part of the weird era where Marvel, because Marvel, Marvel was still in competition with Sony Pictures over the X, not Sony Fox. Fox owned the X Men. Uh, this was before the great mergering of twenty eighteen happened, and. Uh, the idea was we're not going to promote X-Men characters. Uh, everything's going to be inhumans. It's going to be, you know, we're just going to do everything we can to de-emphasize mutant characters because according to the deal with Fox, all the movie rights and therefore all the merchandise, all the, you know, just so much money uh, Marvel Studios couldn't bank on with these mutant characters. Just like Wanda is just borked. Like Vision is dead. Like, she's just been through so much. And, like, really, even with all this, like, the temperament of a hotshot writer who's, like, sick of, like, weepy soap opera stories. A bleeding heart, like, writer who wants to do good. A Marvel fanboy who wants to bring back classic uh, Golden Age and Stan Lee minutia in his runs. Like, all of these trends, all of these, like, sh- tectonic shifts in the comic book 
uh, in the comic book world and always at the center, always like just the the keystone for all the adjustments is Vision and Scarlet Witch. It's fascinating. And and I think the last piece of this puzzle that's going to lead to WandaVision is 2016's The Vision. And this is sort of a reverse of WandaVision. It has Vision living in Fairfax, Virginia, with a freshly created robot family that he made. They attempt to live a normal human life, suburban life, and this goes totally awry. And we're talking murder, suicide. This comic book is fucking dark. It's also my biggest recommendation from doing the research. I also loved House of M, but The Vision kind of blew my mind. It was so fucked up. It was so well written. It's beautiful. It's like poetry, honestly. It was one of those gorgeously written comic books. I'm like, dude, everybody needs to check this out. And by the way, it's on Comixology Unlimited, the whole thing, the whole like 12 issue run. But it's a story about a family just trying to do everything they can to be normal and constantly failing as they go, leading to disasters left and right and reminders that they will indeed never be humans. It also has the vibe WandaVision has of that weird, I feel like I'm in a... I feel like I'm in dream logic where everything's just a little off. Everything's a little fucked up. Everything's a little stressful for no reason. You know what I mean? And I feel like that was a lot of the vibe of the show. In I mean, the, the the comic book covers are uh, insane, awesome. are definitely help kind of with that. With Beautiful. That. It's like a Norman Rockwell painting style. Uh, by the way, uh, who, where, who, oh, I had who, who did the cover illustrations. They're gorgeous beautiful and and yeah it's like norman rockwell but twisted as fuck and all with like vision and just weird robot family shit it's great by the way written by tom king who's also known for his work with vertigo uh on the sheriff of babylon which i believe is his own ip and uh it was drawn by gabrielle hernandez uh, walta please if you're gonna do check anything out besides wandavision after listening to this check out 2016's the vision is 16 or 12 issues Fucking killer from beginning to end. I absolutely loved it. But either way, now we're at the MCU. I would also recommend uh, the 2017 Scarlet Witch solo series, which was written by James Robinson and uh, was penciled by Vanessa Del Rey. Amazing covers by David Aja. Uh, And it was kind of a similar uh, attempt to redeem the character. There was uh, it was inspired by the Hawkeye series that had come out uh, a couple years before that also did wonders for this like kind of overlooked Avenger and the Scarlet Witch solo series, um, not the nineties one with the honkin' badonkas, uh, the solo series really kind of recast Scarlet Witch as a solo character operating as kind of a, a Constantine style supernatural PI who delves into uh, different uh, kind of mythologies and spiritual threats leading her to the witch's road where she uh, kind of, they reestablish her origin and establishes the Scarlet Witch, not just as her superhero name, but a title for powerful magic users that have existed throughout history. I recommend uh, a listener recommended it to me, said that it rede- totally redeemed the character in her eyes and made her one of her favorite characters. I showed it to my beautiful fiance, Marie, who was very upset at the horrible inconsistencies and mistakes in the actual mythologies and magic used. I mean, you can't, you can't quell an Irish demon with a Scottish invocation. That's just amateur hour shit. God damn it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I will actually check that out probably after this. Cause I'm sort of addicted now to Scarlet Witch and vision comic books. Uh, but either way, let's get to the, I said it again, let's get to the uh, history, or not a history, we'll, we'll try to briefly run down Wanda and Vision's relationship to the MCU leading up to WandaVision. Uh, all this to say, 
Scarlet Witch and Vision, they don't enter until Phase 2 with Avengers Age of Ultron. And that's even the end of Phase 2, I believe, right? So they are, uh, but of course, they're major players in Infinity War and Endgame. What's hilarious is I never saw uh, Age of Ultron, so I definitely had no idea who the fuck these people were when I first watched Infinity War and had a little catching up to do. But the film is released in 2012, directed by Joss Whedon. It is generally known as the worst Avengers film, kind of why I never saw it until recently. And yes, it's it's annoyingly qu- uh, with the quippy... Uh, just a quippy left and right, and especially with uh, Ultron being so hilarious all the time. I just don't know what the thought was behind that. But either way, uh, said it again. Essentially, they take all the comic source material and they spin it a little differently in order to work out for these two. The whole Infinity Stone thing that we mentioned before. The the Mind Stone being in uh, Vision's forehead. The, Not only this, that, but uh, the Mind Stone being the source of Quicksilver yes. and Scarlet Witch's powers, because yes. again, no more mutants. We can't talk about mutants. The M word is verboten, uh, and they're not like technically Romani. They're from like this vaguely uh, Balkan, Eastern European kind of war torn country known as Sokovia. Um, that that Sokovian accent is real spotty. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. They make fun of it in the show. So Tony Stark fucks up, makes Ultron, trying to be this big defense program. It turns on him. He then uses the Mind Stone. He makes Vision to fight Ultron. And uh, and what happens here is Wanda ends up uh, in Civil War. Wanda ends up in, a, in the Avengers compound. And they kind of have to, like, keep her there. Especially, yeah, Pietro dies in Age of Ultron. That's the first big, in the MCU at least, knock to Wanda's sanity, her psyche, her everything. Uh, then he she needs to be kept at the compound, and Vision is the one overseeing her, essentially, while she's being kept there in Civil War. And that's when they start their romance, and they're fully together in Infinity War when Thanos, Thanos goes after the Mind Stone. Wanda is forced to kill Vision to stop this, uh, this attempt to try to make the snap happen. Thanos just winds back time, ends up killing Vision again! Twice killed, Wanda still fails... So so, and then in Endgame, of course, spoiler alert: everybody gets saved except for Vision and Pietro. So Wanda is just always just fucked in every in the comics in the in the movies, and that's essentially all you really need to know to get caught up to WandaVision. Just she's lost every man in her life that she loved. Uh, she, the world has been saved. Things are in a decent place for everyone else, but she still has this grief to deal with. Uh, so let's get into WandaVision. Finally, f- almost 50 minutes into our episode, we can start talking about it. And I want to start with Elizabeth Olsen because I think that she really kills this character and uh, is just such a standout, especially in the TV show, uh, as well as her counterpart, Paul Bettany. Olsen grew up in California. She began acting at a very young age. I think we all know this because her sisters were <laughs> Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, and they started out in the show Full House, and she ended up doing cameos in their movies because they, of course, became their own franchise as little girls. Uh, she it is almost- so... I, my childhood was spent tortured by the... Olsen yes. twins direct to VHS movies or oh. and uh, like oh, little video like, specials because you had sisters because I had little sisters and they loved the fucking hell of that I anytime I hear about Elizabeth Olsen in my head I just hear like uh, pizza P I Z Z A everybody loves pizza like fucking <laughs> everybody does I am love the cute pizza. one she's just my sister you wish this is for <laughs> for the three people. That also know my pain. Please leave a comment. Hit me up on Twitter and tell me 
that that shit isn't just fucking singed into your fucking gray matter. She uh, she almost quit acting back in 2004 when the paparazzi swarmed her family over her sister's eating disorder. She's always known fame. She's always known she's always known the Hollywood lifestyle, and I think that actually is what set her up a lot better in a way from her sisters because she sort of like had that perspective. But she also went into serious training for acting. She went to New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. She did a summer in Moscow with the Moscow Art Theater School. In 2011, she starred in the thriller film Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which I've always meant to see. I need to check it out. It's a character going through multiple personality disorder and having a lot of paranoia after returning to her family from an abusive cult. Sounds badass, and it got a lot of critical and uh, fan notoriety. It just really opened the doors on her career. And her first massive summer blockbuster after that was actually the 2014 American remake of Godzilla, uh, and I think that that, again, set her up to join the MCU in 2015 for Age of Ultron. Uh, Olsen on play, uh, had this to say about playing Wanda in Age of Ultron. The thing I held on to after reading the initial script was that she was not only powerful because of her abilities, but because of her emotions. Also in 2018, she starred in a web TV series called Sorry for Your Loss, which had her playing a young widow struggling with her family to cope with the sudden death of her husband. So she is no stranger to an actor who is playing characters who are working through intense grief. And I think that's what makes her so perfect for this role. She had this to say as well. It doesn't hurt that she also looks fantastic in a red bustier like in Civil War. She looks great. Olsen had this to say as well. She got so angry when she found her kids weren't real that she killed all the mutants. There was so much emotional depth to her. And then there's the fact that she is her own villain because of her own inability to understand what her powers are and how to control them. I'd like to be more like her where I am always emotional. But uh, to be in this world uh, and to be able to function in it, we should probably put on our layers of socially correct behavior. Then you have Paul Bettany, a fascinating character in this story with some really fun story uh, tales of his own in, t- in terms of getting the success he's gotten. Are you recently. talking about Mr. Jennifer Connelly? Yes, of course. What do you okay. mean? He married her? He's married to, he married her. Oh, my God. I didn't After even 9-11, now I hate they, decided no, to fish, they decided to, to uh, live for the moment. They live in Brooklyn. Nice. I, I'm going to go stalk them later. It's going to be great. Awesome. Let me talk to you about your character motivations. <laughs> And you're actually talking about, um, which we call Labyrinth. (laughs) Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. 
Either way, Bettany grew up in London, and his parents were singers, actors, dancers, and teachers of theater, so always ingrained for him. At age 16, after the sudden death of his brother, Bettany dropped out of school, left home, and became a street performer in London, playing his guitar for money. He got training at the Drama Center in London, and soon got work on the East End, as well as the Royal Shakespeare Company. And after doing several stage, TV, and film roles in Britain, he got his first big Hollywood gig in A Knight's Tale. And this is a part actually written for him, because the director was so impressed with his audition tape and he uh, ended up really championing him early on got him roles in Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind things like that uh it's kind of amazing that like if you watch the his character's name is like uh, is Chaucer and like he is a very animated character actor he does like yeah. crazy stuff he was uh you know a, a psycho monk in um Da Vinci Code but like he is definitely bombastic charismatic he is just a presence on screen and his voice is commanding and just out of like a weird like happenstance he co-starred in a movie called Wimbledon with uh, yes. none other than John Favreau who was going to end up directing Iron Man so when it was time for a generic British man voice uh, Favreau just called up Bettany and was like hey here's a dumb thing uh, Jarvis is like you know the Avengers butler and like uh, Tony Stark's like little like helper boy in the comics, but we don't want to like evoke Alfred from Batman because this is 2008 mm. and all that shit's too fresh in people's memories. So we're turning him into a robot called Jarvis, all acronymed <laughs> out. And Paul Benny was like, "Yeah, sure, little speaking role. What? Yeah, okay, sure thing, my friend John Favreau." So the seed is planted there, and then meanwhile he's starring in a lot of movies, several of which are helmed by Johnny Depp and. They're all kind of floppy. They're all sort of just, he kind of hits a lull in his career. And, you know, this really gets a resurgence with vision. But at a point, he was kind of screwed. And then this happened. Bettany said, I had just had a meeting with a producer who will remain nameless, who told me that my career was over. He said, you're done. You're done in this town. I stepped, which is so funny. He's like, that actually happens, I guess. Uh, I stepped out into, right? I stepped out into Hollywood and I sat on the sidewalk with my feet in the gutter and I thought, fuck me. My phone rang and it was Joss Whedon and he said, do you want to play the Vision in the next Avengers movie? I sort of looked up to heaven and thought, karma's very quick these days. And I flipped the building behind me the finger. It happened just like that. I sat down and my phone rang. Very funny. But you know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me my career was over, my career would be over. Then he goes on to get killed, which makes no sense, by the way. Then he goes on to get killed twice in Infinity War. And he thought that the MCU was done with him at that point. Bettany said... My contract was up, and I just died twice in Infinity War, and I got a call from the boss, Kevin Feige, saying, come see me in the office. I looked at my wife, and I think I'm getting canned. I went in and told Louis Desposito and Kevin Feige. Louis Desposito is another big producer within the MCU. And I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, so I led with, look, I totally get it. It's been great. I've had a great run, guys. And they were like, what are you, quitting? And I went, no, aren't you firing me? And they said, no, we're going to pitch you a TV show. So I went, okay, I'm in. Then we talked about two comic book stories that I really love, House of M and The Visions, which we just mentioned before. This is a story about Vision trying to build a family in suburbia, and it was sort of a mashup between them, and also with a sort of loving look at American sitcoms throughout the American century, I was like, I'm in. And I would have said the same thing, because it's really cool. So two other big personalities that help uh, make WandaVision what it is, is um, the head writer, Jack Schaefer, Jacqueline yes. Schaefer, if you're nasty, who yeah. is uh, was kind of brought in 
late in Marvel's phases. And uh, her writing credits include helping on Captain Marvel. Yes. She helped write uh, the now Black Widow. S- still in the can Black Widow movie. Yeah. And she was the head writer on this. And she has been. She's one of those people that like has sustained entire YouTube channels with how much she is uh, not ashamed of being like, I want diversity in the writing team. I want to switch yes. up how stories are told. Like she is not afraid of getting uh, angry nerds on Twitter mad at her. But considering at least uh, how WandaVision is turning out, like this is the most humane this character has been written in yeah. its, the entirety. It's awesome. Jack Schaefer, uh, Jack Schaefer, by the way, was signed on early t- uh, to be a writer of the pilot and executive producer. She majored in English from Princeton University and got a Master of Fine Arts in Film Production at the USC School of Cinema. She wrote and directed a feature that was released back in 2009 called Timer. It is a sci-fi story, very Black Mirror, about people who have these timer watches, essentially, on their wrists that count down to when they will meet their soulmates. And uh, that kind of set her up well for the types of stories she'd be able to tell, especially one division of course and then i believe you're also going to go on to mention matt shackman the director and executive producer on the event series he was a child actor on television for several years this already makes him the most like key for this uh job because yes literally a sitcom child actor 100 percent coming into the game with a perfect background for imitating old television he ends up directing as well on television shows such as mad men six feet under the boys Big superhero show, obviously, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And Game of Fantastic Thrones, fantastic breadth of of uh, directing credits in terms of what this show is. Late season Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones nonetheless. But still, but prestige television. Also, I'd say a third player is important here, and that's Jess Hall, the cinematographer, who also did films such as Hot Fuzz and the more recent Ghost in the Shell film. the The camera work and everything it so perfectly emulates each and every era of TV that they're going for. It is such a feat. I mean, when you think about everybody, and we'll talk about some of the other players, but from the costume design to the set designers, these people had to be chameleons with this thing. Because, of course, every single episode emulates a completely different family sitcom of its time. Of the all the media, all the hype, obviously we don't have anyone behind the scenes. This is all like official releases and sanctioned interviews and everything. But all of them really press how hard they work to make it decade accurate as they move through television history. Uh, Everything from changing the lighting from like tungsten lights to fluorescent lights in the shift between uh, 60s sitcoms and 80s sitcoms, changing the lenses and changing uh, filming in black and white for the black and white sequences. The uh, first two episodes were filmed with a live studio audience to provide the laugh track. So Um, cool. Subtle things like uh, the costuming, you know, that the first episode uh, in the earlier 60s, uh, Scarlet Witch is in house dresses. But in the second episode, it's a little bit later in the 60s and she's allowed to wear capri pants. Uh, There's even a mythical meeting with Dick Van Dyke where uh, Jack Schaefer and uh, Feig uh, like met with him at a fancy at the fancy club in Disney World and like asked him about what it means to be like a proper sitcom. Dick Van Dyke supposedly told them, uh, if it can't happen in real life, it can't happen on the show. And, you know, that it's all about the, uh, as long as it's grounded in real life, somehow you can make it work. It's just so much of it is them talking about how they desperately, desperately wanted to make it feel accurate. 
Uh, and and I loved also they even got prop designer Russell Bobbitt from the film Pleasantville, <laughs> to which Shackman ha- said the show had a spiritual connection to, along with, of course, the film The Truman Show, which definitely it has those vibes for sure, being trapped in this one reality and then busting out of it. Absolutely is fantastic. And uh, also, I want to say this too. Um, you might have noticed how insanely long the credits are at the end of each episode. In fact, it's very funny because you keep, you're like, oh, wow, this is a long episode. I even think they advertised this last episode as like, this is the longest episode's 52 minutes. The episode's actually 37 minutes long. It's just the credits are that crazy. And that is actually because the, for the first time, they were having the Marvel uh, Studios develop this thing, which Marvel Studios, I believe is right. It is, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, Marvel Studios who, who handles all the film stuff. Uh, instead of Marvel Television. Marvel Television did Jessica Jones, Daredevil, The Punisher, all of these series that are great in their own right, but but a definitely more budgeted for a TV show. But they, they essentially, and probably this is related to COVID as well in a certain sense, but they just pushed all of, actually no, because COVID happened kind of while they were filming. So, But either way, they pushed all of their best Ta- like teams onto this thing uh, that they would have normally been reserved for films. The saga of Ike Perlmutter and his weird stranglehold on this one like little fiefdom within the Marvel Empire for a decade while Feige, Feige I'm never going to say his name right, um, like tried to push him out was like, and Perlmutter being an equally huge asshole in response is for another show. But um since the Disney acquisition, like Marvel television has kind of been uh, faded out. Uh, I think every one of those Netflix shows, except Jessica Jones is like out of commission. It's, it's a whole clusterfuck. But um, the weird thing is that, you know, the big triumphant return of the MCU was supposed to be uh, the Falcon and winter soldier, which Mm. involved all these big action set pieces, all these lavish around the world filming and that was shut down while WandaVision, which was supposed to be the quirky side, you know, sideshow, uh, kind of became the M like the the jewel in the forehead, to quote um <laughs> a weird robot character with a complicated history. And so, like, because of the studio-bound nature of the show, they were actually in the middle of a four-week hiatus when production was kind of re-kajiggered for COVID. And so the uh uh, supposedly Paul Bettany and uh, Elizabeth Olsen uh, talk about how like it's very weird kind of like walking on set, taking your mask off, doing a scene and then immediately being shunted to your like sterilized trailer. Yeah, for yeah definitely concern. not as enjoyable in that sense, for sure, for them. They definitely spoke about that in terms of in terms of the approach to creating the show, because I do think it's fascinating Kevin Feige, who also coined the name of the show, had the initial idea of Wanda and Vision living in a, quote, suburban bliss fantasy world. This is based on his love of sitcoms through the ages, as well as the Norman Rockwell approaches to the Leave it to Beaver-inspired comic book covers for that 2016 The Vision limited series, which is uh, by Tom King. And uh, Mike Del Mundo did those amazing covers, by the way. They wanted to mash that together with House of M, and they wanted uh, also to bring in the, The Vision and Scarlet Witch, from the Silver Age, along with the heartbreaking, of course, dismantling of Vision found in the Vision Quest storyline, the whole white Vision thing, right? Uh, Jack Schaefer uh, also thought it was fun to bring back Kat Dennings and Randall Park, uh, who, because of a love of helper characters and because of all the people featured in the Marvel Universe, 
both of them like were the headlining stars of their own sitcoms in Two Broke Girls and Fresh Off the Boat. Yeah, when awesome. interviewed about whether or not uh, their sitcom experience affected their performances in the show, Cat uh, Denning said, "Not really. I'm sorry. I I bet." Th- that feels like a really smart question. I'm sorry I didn't answer it the way you wanted it to. <laughs> and uh, Schaefer also took inspiration from Thor Ragnarok and the TV series Legion, the Marvel TV series, because they were both just these very interesting, and her and to quote her, quote, bananas, uh, <laughs> approaches to Marvel properties that she wanted to continue the tradition of. And uh, yeah, she, she also, as you mentioned, I think previously, they did speak to Dick Van Dyke talking about the making of his sitcom. And the show, of course, references I Love Lucy, My Three Sons, Father Knows Best, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, Bewitched, The Brady Bunch, Family Ties, Out of This World, Malcolm in the Middle, Modern Family, and The Office. Uh, fen- and phenomenally done. Just every every time they reference that stuff, they just knock it out of the park. When they brought in, uh, when they brought in Fake Quicksilver. Yes, I was just about to bring that up. That was the most fascinating casting choice to me and the whole thing and explain the meta of this jake so um when age of ultron came out fox and marvel were still not uh under the great disney tent hallowed be thy name praise be to disney and uh there were two versions of quicksilver and back in the age of ultron days it was like kind of this fun wacky thing that like there were these two companies that were making movies that were going to feature the same oh, you, character you know what i should also say i think we're entering the spoiler part Oh, we should probably yeah. say spoilers at this point for the show. Hey, guys, it's your old pals, Jake and Holden. Sometimes <laughs> we get so hyped and enamored with the sounds of our own voices that we forget to do the spoiler warnings that we uh, said we were going to do. From here um, on out, spoilers, uh, and that's all I'm going to say about it. And also, now that everyone's turned their things off if they needed to, you also kind of gave it away earlier, Jake, saying that Agatha Harkness is what the entire MCU is hinged on at this point, uh, way earlier in the episode. And I was like, don't say anything! Who's been messing up everything? It's been Agatha all along. <laughs> Who's been pulling every evil string? It's been Agatha all along! So great. And so, yes, we found out uh, two episodes ago at this point, because we just got the new one, that Agatha Harkness is Agnes, the quirky next-door neighbor, and she's actually kind of, you you uh, The whole thing of speculation was like, who's pulling the strings here? Is it Mephisto? Is it, you know, this, that, and the other? And it seems it's Agatha. Mephisto may come into play still. I'm kind of curious yeah. to see if they're going mean- to bring him in. This is supposed to be the handoff to uh, the next Doctor Strange movie. I think it's called, like, in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, it and is. And the yeah. other big uh, Doctor Strange villain at this point, besides Dormammu, is Mephisto. So, so like, people think that that's what it is, because, of course, we have Mephisto reabsorbing the twins. Either way, going back to Quicksilver. Uh, so... In the MCU, there was Aaron Taylor Johnson, who also co-starred with uh, Elizabeth Olsen in that in that Godzilla remake, and Evan Peters, who uh, is Quicksilver in the X Men movies, who just gets to show up, do a cool slow mo sequence, and fuck off. Great gig. And uh, in WandaVision, Quicks Pietro comes back, but it's Evan Peters the. Fox X-Men, and he's brash. He's kind of gnarly, which is closer to his character in the Fox movies. And in the show, they explain that it's just a, like, trick by Agatha Harkness, and it's just, like, you wanted him to be real, so you, like, didn't care that he was different. But, like, 
watching at home being at this point like a wrestling smark being like i know about the behind the scenes things what is, are mutants real are they bringing are the x-men real i was like gooshing left and right because i you know what could this possibly represent yeah and it really is just like schaefer and the yeah. writing team and feige just being like Hey, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? We could I, I, legally, we could do it. It'd be funny. I mean, it's also a nod toward the fact that I'm. There's no way they're not going to bring the two entities together, and I think this is just the first step in doing that. This is the first step of putting the X Men that we know and love in this into the same reality as the MCU characters and the Avengers and everything. It's very, very exciting, and I think that was one of the first like I know what this is because I know. Not just the history of the comic books, but the history of the whole rights situation between Marvel and and Disney. It's so great. Like, it's such a cool thing in a show. It's like three layers of meta to get there. It's really, really cool. Uh, And yes, uh, Catherine Hahn plays Agnes, a.k.a. Agatha Harkness. She's so good in everything. And what's great about her is she's so good in comedies like Anchorman and Step Brothers. And then she's also amazing in dramatic work like Revolutionary Road. And this is where I leave you. So she's just perfect for this. She can play those comedy notes, but then when things get real, she can get real. Just awesome, awesome uh, casting with everyone's always happy to see Catherine Hahn show up like period I mean she was just this I feel like it was this light this lightning rod for finally the disparate masses of people that were like oh hey that lady character actor was really great to finally be like her name is Catherine Hahn and we fucking love her supposedly (laughs) she was in the Disney offices for a completely unrelated meeting oh bumped into like Feige uh in the hallway and then on the next WandaVision meeting was like, hey, what about Katherine Hahn? And everyone's like, yeah, she fucking kicks ass. I loved her. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, also, I'm so glad Kevin Fago uh, j- bumped into her or else we wouldn't have her playing this phenomenal character. Also, the second time in recent memory, she played a holy fuck twist villain character because she was also the voice of Doc Ock in Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Such a good ro- Like, she's just, fu- she's so good, man. So, Shackman actually tried to film the show in chronological order to best help the characters in the progression through the various eras of sitcoms. And the first episode had a live studio audience, as you said. I'm going to skip that. Different aspect ratios were also used. I don't think we've mentioned that yet, at least. And depending on the time period, the show is mimicking uh, the, the camera, lenses, lighting, all that stuff. But even the aspect ratio changed. Filming was halted due to COVID. It was restarted in September of 2020, which did delay it, I think, a little bit. A couple more things. It was composed by uh, Ant-Man composer Christoph Beck, as well as Michael Paraskevis and Alex Kovacs. Kovacs is a specialist in older orchestration techniques and jazz music, so that was why he was helpful for that more classic style. Beck wanted the music to be more sparse in the earlier episodes, and more pervasive in the later ones to, again, mimic the way background music was even used in television shows throughout history. He did use more music in, in the earlier episodes than even a normal sitcom would back in those time periods. But either way, he got there, said it again. Uh, there was also themes that would run throughout, but they would evolve uh, to match the time period. So you're hearing the same theme in a more updated style. Speaking of themes... Theme songs for the series were written by Frozen songwriters Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. They even sang most of the theme songs themselves. This is not something they rarely ever did. It would normally be like they'd send in a duo and then hire professional singers to do it. But this was mostly attributed to COVID, uh, but also just a fun thing uh, to know that the actual Frozen writers are 
singing a lot of those bits. But uh, one, And one piece of casting we missed, which is Tiona Paris, who kills it as Monica Rambeau. She, uh, we met the 11-year-old version of her in the first Captain Marvel film. She will be reprising the character in the sequel of that series. Uh, and after graduating from Juilliard, her breakthrough role was in the indie film Dear White People. She was also a series regular on the later seasons of Mad Men. She's great in Mad Men, as well as Empire. So yeah, she's also just the cast is so damn good for this show. So funny, charming, and when she again when shit gets real, they they can really play those notes very well. It's insane. It feels like whenever a new WandaVision episode drops, we're back to like old internet, like pre-Trump internet, when every single piece of Marvel news was like made everything stop. It's yeah. it's almost got nostalgic. Uh, watching people try and like interpret the commercials because every uh, in-universe ad there's nods to like Hydra, there's nods to Sword, there's all these. It's bizarre- all yeah. and it's chronological because like the ads, somewhere I, I either Screen Rant or Collider or one of the great many Marvel blog industrial complex uh, entertainment sites uh, pointed out that like the first ad is a stark brand toaster with a blinking red light which is supposed to be the bomb that didn't go off with stark's name on it that kind of mm-hmm. was the uh the starting incident of her origin which the we find Strucker. out in this in this second last episode which literally just dropped i just watched it right before i uh we yeah. recorded this and even shit that like people like are just grasping at straws like uh, a bottle of wine in the first episode has the label maison du memphis with a big letter m on it and people are like maison that means house in French. House of M? House of M real? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, there's little clues about Wonder Man. Like, all these just, it's a it's good awesome. TV show. And if you are in on the joke, uh, you will just get dopamine explosions as you're like, ooh, I know what that's a reference to. Which is kind of the same formula that Mandalorian had with Star yeah. Wars fans. It made me realize how much, because I'm not as big of a historian of like each comic book arc as maybe you or even, a, as I mentioned before, Mike Lawrence or someone like that. And so actually sitting down and reading these comic arcs, learning all the backstory stuff, the history of the of the characters in the comics... You you realize like oh damn I didn't realize how much the MCU rewards made Mondo fans of the comics they really really just take so much care to give fans those little things while also giving let's say me, uh, me or even more so Lexi for example fucking loves this show and has no no idea about uh, the history of white vision or Agatha Harkness in the comics or I mean I'm telling her about these things now but after the fact you know and and it helps it it gives it more zhuzh but it's also totally fine if uh you don't know those things they just they really do a damn fine job and I think this is one of their greatest efforts to date I'm very excited for the finale I'm also excited. I think if you like our little tidbits and factoids, you're going to get a lot out of the making of documentary, which I wish we could have watched before this episode. We wanted to put this out to pad out to sort of give those people who've been watching it throughout these past several weeks something to a companion piece for the big finale event coming up. But either way, yes, Disney Plus announced on March 12th of this year, 2021, they will put out uh, Assembled, The Making of WandaVision, which I'll definitely also watch because it'll be cool just to get to see that studio audience. 
Giants and get to see that stuff. Get to see Vision. Hopefully, we'll get to see Vision painted blue, which they had to do for the black and white scenes because it popped better in that grayscale. But yeah, it's been a joy. And I'm so glad they released it episodically. I think between Mandalorian and especially WandaVision, because there's so much to speculate over, of all the TV shows to watch a second time to get those little bits and, and, and snits, this is perfect for that. Because we even, on our Sunday study session, watched the first couple episodes again, and I got all these little things out of it that I hadn't noticed in the first viewing, you know? So, yeah, I, I just uh, really, really was blown away at how much I love this show. I mean, every everybody I know who's watching it absolutely thinks it's fantastic. And it's also just, it's incredibly digestible. And it's definitely not even, I wouldn't even suggest binging this show if you haven't seen it yet. Because I feel like it's so good to watch like one or two episodes, really digest that stuff and sit on that and then keep going. Because... I think you get a lot more out of it. So I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying that I do actually appreciate some things being released weekly and not uh, just thrown at you as a you know as a whole season and you just slam through it in a weekend. And while we're still in the spoiler zone, uh, don't worry. No matter what happens in the finale, Billy and Tommy, the twins, come back as uh, Speed and Wiccan, the Young Avenger. Uh, in the Young Avengers, and Sparky comes back. Sparky's fine in the comics, guys. Sparky lives. Nice. Fun fact about Wiccan, uh, he was originally called the Asgardian because he kind of had like a Thor theme going along until the writer realized that uh, having written the character as gay, it was uh, impertinent to name one of the first openly gay Marvel characters the Asgardian. (laughs) So he changed his name to Wiccan. Uh, also very exciting to see white vision. I was trying to figure out how they were going to work that in because they kept saying they were, they were used that as inspiration and, uh, uh, to know what that means. It was a really fun post credits or mid roll credits shocker to see white vision. Cause I know what's going to happen next. White Vision's going to come into Wanda's world, going to be, a, a totally, you know, cold to her. And and I think snap her into reality a little bit, uh, to pun intended, uh, to to sort of sh- I don't know. It's going to break the foundations of her mirage a little bit. I think to see White Vision come in. It's just for two characters that have lacked agency for so long. Literally, they were just used as time bombs to just go off because the you know uh, Scarlet Witch could be manipulated by any number of magical woozits from demons to Cathan, the Lord of Chaos, to Dr. Doom, to Pietro, to just, you know, always, always, always losing her agency. And the Vision also getting hacked constantly, reprogrammed, re-destroyed, re-just uh, always, always. Just if you wanted to shake things up, uh, Vision's on the fritz. Uh, turns out the government hacked him. Or, uh, oh, Wanda went crazy again. And just yep. really finally taking the core of these characters... And making them not just lo- like beloved, but like popular, tragic it- figures to popular, very tragic figures uh, to like I said before a Shakespearean level, which you don't get a ton of in the MCU. And it's like we've got our fill, and we haven't gotten our fill. We'll we'll want more, but we've we've seen Cap, we've seen Iron Man, we've you know all uh, the Hulk, we've we've worked through uh, Thor, all these. Big, strong, leading man types. It's very fun to see some more vulnerability and some more just straight up fucking dark, almost DC Cinematic Universe dark levels of character portrayals. I really am enjoying it. 80 years ago, 
some underpaid teenagers at Marvel Comics had an idea. What if a bald guy in green tights fought crime and he had a big dumb collar and looked dumb? And 80 years later, the world cannot forget his name. And we get to see those great costumes in the Halloween episode, which was so good. Oh, I love this show. Anyways, thank you so much. Oh, and how Get Out inspired is this show as well, by the way, uh, just to throw it out there. Come on. I can't believe I didn't see the the, wor- the words get and out next to each other in any of the this show is inspired by XYZ. Either way, thank you so much for joining us. I think that about covers it. We hope you enjoyed our episode on Scarlet Witch and Vision, uh, a.k.a. WandaVision. Uh, yeah, if you, yeah, nice lady. If you'd like to appreciate some more of my fun quips and some of my amazing talents, I do flips and things like that. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. I don't do flips. I lied. But uh, what I do do is do do. I poo every day and I also give you weekly bonus content along with my co-host Jake Young uh, for just $5 a month. It is the greatest thing that's ever happened to people. Maybe. Some people have said that, I Listen, think. Listen, just because after every episode, we get a lot of comments saying that we, it's great and fun to listen to. And if you are a first-time donor, you have almost you have hundreds of episodes to listen to to fill your days. Yeah, just do it for um, a month and be like, go fuck yourselves. Like, never pay us money again. You know what I mean? I mean, don't do that, but do that. You know what I mean? Do that. No, I encourage it. I encourage <laughs> it. Give us $5 and listen to all of our bonus content. Yeah. And <clears throat> if you want to support us even more, you get to join in on our weekly Sunday study streams where a wonderful group of like-minded citizens help us research and engage with upcoming topics, whether that's a movie night, whether we play games together, or like uh, last week, we just uh, scroll through a bunch of old comic books and point out how silly they are. It's a genuinely good time. You will have fun, especially if you enjoy the shit we do on this show. Hell yeah. Check me out, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Check me out on Monday, Tuesday, Friday nights or the afternoon if you're where I live now in Los Angeles, California. Either way, I'm streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday. Check out my page for uh, more specific schedule stuff. And Jake? Oh, I love the way you screech my name, friend. Um, Follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Best Jake Young and read all of my thoughts and plops and uh, weird little tidbits and pieces of uh, ephemera from my week of research. Uh, you'll know what's coming up if you follow me on Twitter. And always remember, never stop your bruising. And keep on whizzing like Scarlet Witch's old parents before it was Magneto. And then it turns out, no, she was actually the child of Romani parents that were genetically altered by the high evolutionary. And then she got her powers from the ancient goddess of witchcraft. We didn't even talk about the cow uh, handmaiden. Yeah. We'll get midwife or whatever. Yeah. Either way, we'll talk about Bovera or whatever her name is later. Have a good one, everybody. Never stop whizzing. Keep on bruising. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.